If you're listening to this podcast before August 12th, 2021, you can register for the free Corwin webinar that officially will launch the new book series, Classroom Ready, Rich Math Tasks, Engaging Students in Doing Math, which is featured in episode 29. The authors of the series will be there to talk about the K through first, the second through third, and also the fourth through fifth grade versions of the series. And there will be lots of giveaways. Register today by going to the Eventbrite website and searching for the title, Classroom Ready, Rich Math Tasks. If you're listening to this podcast before August 31st, 2021, you're just in time to win one of over 30 prizes during the fall 2021 Kids Math Talk podcast giveaway. Professional learning books from Corwin, including The Math Pact, Partnering with Parents in Elementary School Math, Figuring Out Fluency in Mathematics, Teaching, and Learning, Numeracy for All Learners, Teaching Mathematics to Students with Special Needs, Teaching Math to Multilingual Students, and the Classroom Ready Rich Math Task Books are a part of this giveaway in addition to one-year classroom subscriptions to the website Braining Camp. Head to the bit.ly link bit.ly backslash kmt2021 giveaway to enter. You can also find the link on the Kids Math Talk website or by searching under the hashtag Kids Math Talk on Twitter. In school, children learn to identify coins and add change. There might even be discussions about how to add and subtract money. But how often are we attaching these interactions to meaningful contexts for children? How often are we talking about how to create and maintain a monthly budget or how to control spending on a credit card to avoid future debt and interest rates? Today's episode explores why it's so important to start having these critical conversations with elementary children. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, elementary math coach, and Kids Math Talk founder. All right, so with us on the podcast today, we have Dr. Lindsay Gold, who has a book called On the Money, Math Activities to Build Financial Literacy, grades K through five. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. So yes, I'm really excited about this conversation because Financial literacy isn't something that you necessarily hear about. It's not the first item to be brought up, especially when you're talking about little kids and um, in the elementary grades. And, you know, finances is something that everyone has to think about at some point, but we don't always have a concrete definition of what this means. So can we start with you telling us what financial literacy means to you and why we as educators and parents 
should care about young children learning this? Sure. So I'll begin by giving you a little background on how I started studying financial literacy, um, because it kind of puts it into context. So I was working on my doctorate and one of my fellow classmates was doing something. He was high school, was doing something about financial literacy. And he said, so what do you at elementary do with financial literacy? And very rarely am I speechless, but I was like, um, we count coins, we identify coins, and I'm, I'm searching my brain like, what does that mean? What does financial literacy at the elementary level even mean? And so that's how I ended up um, actually doing my dissertation on financial literacy in grades K through two. But in doing that, I came up with my definition of what financial literacy means at the elementary level. And I call it the financial concepts and skills that students need to achieve on the path to becoming a financially literate adult. So what that means in terms of skills and concepts or the skills would be like performing basic mathematical operations related to money, uh, coin identification, sorting, counting, those kinds of things. But the piece that I was really missing were those financial concepts. And to me, that requires the deeper understanding beyond that fundamental memorization. So that would include things like saving, spending, borrowing, um, those kinds of concepts. And why it's important is that I really think that we need to start this conversation early, which is why I was super excited when you reached out to me, um, because it is a mission of mine to really, you know, put this on the forefront of math educators, especially at the elementary, that if we started this conversation a lot earlier, I think we would see better results. So it's important to the educators and parents because it would help it would help us prepare these students for their financial future. So when you're talking to an elementary student, they might not be thinking about, oh, I need money to buy a car or a house or um, save for college or plan for a family, but they can start thinking about what does it mean to have money, to save money, to earn money? What does it mean to borrow something? Um, even at the early level, we talk about, like they might not understand what it means to take a loan, but they would understand what it means to borrow someone's pencil or a library book. And so we talk about how it's important for them to return those items just like they had them um, in good condition, those kinds of things, which is then can be related later to loans and how we have to pay those back. Um, so we just take the concepts and put them on a more um, skill level that our elementary students would be, would be used to. My thought is, my hope is, that maybe as adults, then they'll remember some of those conversations because I always hate to hear like adults come back and say, oh, if I would have only had more financial education, then maybe I wouldn't be in so much debt. Or maybe I would have started to understand the value of saving and I could have more money here in the future if I would have started saving, you know, a lot, a lot earlier in life. Uh, so that is, that's my thought on why it's important. You know, as I'm listening to you, it reminded me of one 
section or the very near the very beginning or in the forward the forward of your book where it's talking about the debt so in 2015 the average u.s household carrying debt owed more than fifteen thousand dollars in credit card debt and the average mortgage debt was over a hundred and fifty six thousand dollars and then the average student loan debt was about thirty three thousand dollars and those are big numbers where, so what I hear is that by starting early, we're just creating a more relevant context for kids so that maybe hopefully as adults, they're not falling into these traps. Exactly. We kind of run into the society of instant gratification and you know, even media, they target our youngsters on, oh, you need to buy the latest toy or the latest game and those kinds of things. And so our students think, oh, I I need this and I need this now. So if we start talking to them about saving and then maybe they would see, oh, the value of money and how it's not free. I always laugh about my girls taking, I have triplet daughters and they're 14 now. So it's a new kind of financial situation. But um, when they were young, I remember they'd go to the store. Oh, mommy, I want to get this toy. I I really want to get this toy. And so I would tell them, okay, if we make it through our whole shopping trip and you remember at the end of that, that you still want to get this toy, then we'll talk about it. Probably 99% of the time they forgot about it. You know, but it was that instant gratification. I have to have it. I have to have it now. And so my thought is if we can start teaching these kiddos what it means to save money and um, the value of money, that maybe they won't fall into those traps. Credit card debt can be the hardest thing to dig yourself out of. Um, And if you look at interest rates and that's that's a thing. Sometimes when people sign up for credit cards, they don't even look at that aspect and how much they would actually be paying over time using those cards um, and not paying off the balance. So definitely, I think starting these conversations earlier would hopefully help in, you know, making those numbers at least, if not eliminated, smaller. But the statistics are still not great. Um, I was looking up some updated ones since 2015. Some I found that 78% of adults live paycheck to paycheck. Three in five adults don't keep a budget. Um, 66% of Americans lack financial literacy. So we still have a long way to go. And so I think that I'm so happy that we're having this conversation now and that, you know, this is starting to get on the radar of states who are starting to implement financial literacy standards and economic education standards, um, because I think it's real and it's an issue that we need to address earlier rather than later. The statistics that you just gave are really shocking. And I'm thinking that if we do start these conversations with kids, then they'll be able to think more critically and have this power to and really take ownership over the decisions that they're making. And they'll be more informed when they're when they get into these situations. And if we help them practice with the play money and with some modeling and just some scenarios where they still are safe, then as adults, look, they can think back to those experiences so that 
that still like provides some type of safety net, I feel like for them, which is missing right now from so many. You said the three and our 78% living paycheck to paycheck. Is that what you're saying? Like that's astonishing. That's really, really scary. Yes. And you made a really good point. And that's something I think of, you know, even depending you're talking about, you know, middle and high schoolers now when you talk about investments and risk taking and that kind of thing. But if they had that opportunity to have those simulations without actually losing their money or seeing what that's like, I think that 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 is pretty powerful to them to, yeah, to work through those simulations and see. And I could even see it turning into um, conversations about using math for um, social justice, because if you're seeing, if, if you have this set budget and you're going through these simulations and then you're always finding yourself paycheck to paycheck or ending up in debt, then what does that say about how we're structured as a society? And, you know, there are debates going on about minimum wage right now. And so I see like this just as a springboard for um, having that critical math pedagogy and really using math as a vehicle. I I agree. And I I think a lot of times um, children have a misconception about the real world in terms of making money and how much they think they're going to make and then how much they think they could afford for housing costs, for grocery costs, for entertainment costs even. And I think by by doing those budgets and things now, that'll kind of help them get a sense of reality. I have my students actually do some research on what kind of jobs are you interested in? And then what is the average pay? And we talk about, okay, so you may be looking in Ohio. What if you lived in California? What if you lived in New York City? The same job might pay differently. And so, oh, well, I want to go to New York City because they pay more. Okay, but what did they pay for housing? And then, you know, because they, they just don't always have a good sense of reality of the whole picture. They can see pieces, but they're not putting the whole picture together. So I think that if we could have these conversations now and talk to them, you know, you talk about the, the social structure and things. And some people are very, very concerned about talking about money. You know, that's that's one of those things that comes up that. um that some people just aren't comfortable with. But I think if we start having these conversations and talking about it and talking about, you know, salaries and um, income and where income comes from, taxes, how much they're paying in these living expenses, that it will give them a better sense of what they're going to see in the future. Give them a better sense. And that's that's a another question that I had for you is just like, how do you feel that, financial literacy intersects with identity and culture. And I think like we've already been speaking to that a little bit and just how by having these conversations, it's just going to be so eye opening for kids. And then this is the world that they are inheriting. So is this something that they want to see stay the same? Or is this something that you can then like open up their eyes to like, maybe this, uh, maybe we need to start asking more questions. Maybe this isn't the system that 
we want to be a part of. So how can we change this system so that it does work for us and so that we don't end up in this in this debt simulation in real life? So how, in what other ways are you feeling like this identity and culture intersecting with financial literacy? Sure. So I was thinking a lot about this, and this is something that I'm definitely interested in um, pursuing in my research is how financial literacy is taught in different um, parts of the United States. But when it comes to identity, I feel like everyone is going to deal with finances sometime in their life. And like you mentioned before, empowering the students. So through mathematics, through um, their understanding of these financial concepts and skills, we're giving them this power that their socioeconomic status doesn't define them. It's what they do with their money that really creates that identity. So I don't want it to just be like I'm categorized by how much money I make or how much money I have, but I rather be considered financially literate by how I use what I have earned or what I do have saved, those kinds of things and how to manage that money. So I really think that's where the identity um, comes into play. But when teaching financial literacy, I do think we need to take into account the cultural differences. You need to know your students. You need to know what are their experiences. Like we talked a little bit about some people aren't comfortable talking about money. So, you know, is that something in their family that they've had discussions about? Um, Attitude towards money can vary. Um, Different demographic groups might have different, even different opinions on financial institutions and whether they feel like they can trust putting their money into a bank or a credit union or something like that. So we need to be aware of those. Programs need to make sure that they are understanding these different demographic groups, helping them overcome specific challenges that they might have in their financial management skills. I think that we need to involve community. I think it would be awesome if not only are we teaching our students, but we're educating our community on things that they could do whether in conjunction or with, you know, students, if they have their own children or if they're just working in the community. I think that it's really important to be culturally responsive and making sure that we understand that there's an emotional nature to money. And that just goes back to knowing your students, knowing their backgrounds, knowing their experiences, those kinds of things, whether they're youngsters in elementary or all the way up through high school. So I definitely think that it does intersect. It does play a part and it needs to be recognized. Thank you for that. And the piece about involving and educating communities, I feel I agree with you. I think that is so important because in order to build up communities, we have to have this a common understanding and we have to feel connected. And I feel like in your book, you've started that because each chapter has, you know, you have, you have many different sections and one that I appreciated the most, I mean, I I really like the structure, but I appreciate the most, the future value section, because it's not only telling or like giving suggestions to the teacher of what they could do to incorporate financial literacy. You're educating the teacher also about their own financial literacy. You're giving connections that the kid can make, but also 
what it sounds like we still have this issue of the majority of Americans not being financially savvy. So you're giving that professional learning in each chapter of the book. So I don't see how after reading this book, how you couldn't come away with new tips to incorporate in your own life. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and while the book was written um, with educators in mind, it is definitely a resource that parents could use, that others could use when just starting those discussions. How, how do I talk to my child about this? Um, how do I start this discussion at home? So I, I'm hoping that it can be a resource for not only educators, but parents, caregivers, others as well. I could even see this being used as some type of um, foundation for a, an after school or before school program that's focused on math concepts. Not saying that it shouldn't be a part of the core curriculum also, but I think that the way the style that it's written and all the different activity sheets and resources that are embedded right in the resource really lend itself well to someone who might not have a teaching certificate to still be able to talk through these ideas with kids. Thank you. And that's the thing about financial literacy is it's it's real life. It, I mean, these are authentic experiences that people go through. So while we're going to give them this education within the classroom walls, it is so great if it can expand past that. And like you said, you know, after school clubs or, or anything, anytime they're volunteering, they're collecting money, they're doing fundraising, whatever they might be doing, you know, we can integrate these math and financial literacy skills together. And you also have all the common core standards that might fit with whatever you call them the bottom line for each chapter. So that can really help teachers figure out where exactly they're going to incorporate these different ideas within their given curriculum resource. And I'm thinking if as a teacher, like as an educator, if you're a parent coming across this book, what's one piece of advice that you have for them if they're trying to make, quote unquote, make the case for financial literacy being a part of math instruction? Sure. So whenever I talk about this with others, I talk about how financial literacy is so authentic. And so I don't want to see, yes, you might have a different set of standards, financial literacy standards, but I don't want to see them taught in isolation. I think integration with math, with social studies, anything else you can think of um, to put those together is really the way to go. So I would recommend to anybody to know your standards, know in your state, do you have these standards. Um, if you don't have specific state standards, I would look to the jumpstart standards. There's some national standards out there that can get the ball rolling. And then know your math standards and kind of get some ideas on where is there overlap. So I, I always say integrate, not recreate. We don't need to recreate the wheel. We don't need to rewrite a new curriculum. We just need to put these together where they fit naturally. So I just think that's that's so important to remember is that this is not an additional thing that teachers have to do. This is something that flows um, naturally into what they're already doing and provides that authentic experience for the students that they will come encounter with in their actual everyday life. I just want 
parents, educators, anyone to start talking about these with the young kids. Some people think, oh, they're not cognitively ready to do this. Absolutely. They can. And my example about, you know, borrowing loans, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing, we can have these conversations. You just do it at that student's level or that child's level. So I'm really excited that you reached out. Thank you. I had the same teacher for fourth and fifth grade. And he had this, um, he called them smileys. So we had like a, we had an economy in our room. And um, so like one smiley was worth one, one point. And then if he like overlapped the smileys, that was worth 10. And then if there were three overlap, that was worth a hundred. So like we could, so we had to like keep track. Like we had additions and subtractions and everything. That was fun and it was good. But then I think back, like that still didn't teach me what we're talking about here. And maybe it was because they were points and not like actual play money. I'm not really sure. But I remember that just being like really fun and not like I'm going to have to apply this later on in my life. So because there are a lot of teachers, like elementary teachers who have the that classroom economy Mm-hmm. And like some use tickets, some, some might use a stamp, like might still use stamps. Um, I'm sure there's somebody that uses play money, but although you'd have to have a lot of play money, I would think um, to have that, you know, to have a class full of kids with like passing out bills. I think, yeah, the more we can make it authentic and, and it sounds like your teacher had the same kind of concept. It's just, you know, stickers versus bills, but um we'd need to take it a step further and okay so how many stickers do you want to save up like what is it that you want what prize is it that you really want how many stickers would it take to save up that or in this case you know we could use money and then get the math mm-hmm. that um actual decimals and things if necessary and how much would it take to save up and then would you rather have two cuz some would rather have two little things than one bigger thing because two is more than one <laughs> and, you know, we have those kinds of conversations then about value and worth. So what is it worth versus what is the value? So to me, something might be worth a whole lot, but it's only valued at like a dollar. But to me, it's worth a whole lot. And then it can go the other way. You know, what if you had a relative that bought you this expensive model car or something that's valued at a lot, but I don't really play with cars. So it's not worth much to me. And so it makes for an interesting conversation of value and worth. Like we have a program where kids can come, they can, they can open an account, a savings account, but it's not emphasized. It's either like, you know about it or you don't. And it's, and that's based off of if your parents read the information and signed you up, but you know what I mean? Like it's not, but beyond, like, I think that that has real potential for like being implemented more, but we don't emphasize it. Right. Uh, I agree with that. Like my own kids, we put money on a card. So I put money on their lunch card. They punch in the number. They have no idea what their balance is or anything like that. They're 14. Yeah. So I was like, we need to do a better job because everything is virtual anymore. We have debit cards. We have Venmo. We have PayPal. Everything is virtual that they don't actually feel that hurt when you actually hand over those bills. Like, ooh, that hurt. Yeah. Um, 
everything because it's all virtual. It's easy transactions. So I think that's another thing that we need to start teaching our young people that we need to teach them about coins and values and bills. But then we need to go into because that gives you the concrete. But Mm -hmm. then we need to go into the virtual aspect of it and how this is real money that's going in and out of this account and how easy it is to spend Amazon. Yeah, where they can they can wipe myself out and I know better. You know, I'm like, what did I order now? Kind of thing. So it's so easy. It is. So we need to teach them how to be cognizant of what's going in and out of their accounts. So even at a young age, if we could do a better job with lunch accounts or virtual savings accounts or those kinds of things, I think that'd be awesome. Lots to think about, isn't it? It is so much to think about. And like, there's so many different areas where we could say like, okay, we can adjust this to help with this and but everything's connected eventually so Mm -hmm. um but I mean that the finances can get you in trouble a lot faster than some other concepts absolutely and then it can be hard to get out yeah It, it can be so hard to get out of credit card debt or you could get yourself in a situation where you have to declare bankruptcy or something and you've killed your credit yeah. so then you don't have credit to purchase something that you might want to later kind of thing so yeah, yeah it, it's scary what it can do very quickly what we need to do is teach them to almost be able to read the future because, you know, you're, you're a teenager. You want to get a car. You're so excited about this. Oh, I can afford this car. I have the money. I can buy the car. But are they thinking about the insurance? Are they thinking about what happens if the car breaks and I have to do car repairs, those kinds of things. So we need to think beyond just that one purchase and yeah. the expenses that can occur. Yeah. I have four nieces and two nephews and yeah, they probably view money very differently. Very differently. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because I I mean, I'm older than you are, but I remember bringing in lunch money, you know, and and counting it out for the teacher and those kinds of things. Yeah. So, so I do still definitely see value in identifying coins. And I think it's interesting, the history aspect of because it throws them off. Why in the world is the nickel worth less than a dime, but a nickel's bigger in size? Mm-hmm. You know, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but when it comes to really managing money, it's all virtual now. And so I think that that's what we where we need to focus. Yeah, because it's so easy to spend when you don't have it in your hand. Mm -hmm. And that's why you need the mathematics too. even walking through a grocery store. You know, I constantly find myself rounding. I round up on everything just, you know, so I have an idea, but I'll still get to the checkout and be like, holy smokes, what did I buy? Yeah. 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 And then just put it on the credit card. And so I've even my own personal with you know, going through all this and and learning more about it have done such a much better job at watching credit card bills and watching those kinds of things. And it's become almost like a, a I have to be able to pay off that credit card bill or I'm not going to spend that money. And that's something that we really need to teach them because you don't realize how much more you're paying for an item than what it's worth. You think, oh, well, this is just a hundred dollars, but if you don't pay it off, 
we're looking right. at, you know, 20 some percent interest. Yeah. And really, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. Find this book on the NCTM website and I'll be sure to give a direct link in the show notes. So once again, thank you, Dr. Gold, for being on the podcast, for speaking with us about financial literacy is something really important that we need to keep talking about. So um, we'll be sure to keep that on the forefront of future podcast episodes. But thank you for being here. Thank you again for having me. It was my pleasure to talk about this. And yes, let's keep the conversation going. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes of this podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Kids Math Talk podcast.